that the devil has been able to dissuade Jesus' disciples. Remember, we talked last week that, that Jesus doesn't want us to be a Christian. He wants us to be a... Ooh, Lord, I feel so encouraged and blessed by the preaching of the word. Two people remember it. Jesus doesn't want us to be Christians. He wants us to be his disciples. And one of the things that a disciple does, a disciple shares Jesus with others. And we talked about that last week. And so one of the things that the devil does to dissuade Jesus' disciples from sharing Jesus with people is convincing us that evangelism is something it's not. Let me tell you what evangelism isn't. Evangelism isn't telling people how bad they are. Can I tell you, when I grew up in the, in the churches that I grew up in, anytime I thought about, about evangelism, it was always like this turn or burn mentality. You better get sanctified or you're gonna get chicken fried. Do you need hell insurance? I've got it for you. Right, like that, that's kind of how I always thought evangelism was. And I, and, I, and I began to approach this idea that like, man, it's just my job to, to tell people how bad they are. But can I tell you? Yeah, yes, the Bible does say that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, all sinners will face judgment. Yes, there will be a real, very real place called hell that God is going to send sin to. But when we study the life of Jesus, we don't see that Jesus spent his days in the Bible running around telling everybody how bad they are. In fact, the only time that I can recall studying the life of Jesus where he specifically tells people how bad they are, do you know who the people are that he said that to? He didn't say it to the lost people. He didn't say it to the sinners. You know who he said it to? He said it to the angry church people. The people who thought that they were holier than thou, that their stuff don't stink. Listen to me. If you believe that evangelism is always about and only about you telling people how bad they are, it's no wonder that we live in such fear about doing it. Because the people who are close to us but far from God, we, 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 are, we are caught in this balance of we really want to go to heaven and we want them to go to heaven, but we also don't want to end a relationship with somebody that we deeply love and care about. And if we believe, as the devil has done such a great job of convincing us that evangelism is about telling people how bad they are, then absolutely we will be filled with all kinds of fear in sharing our faith with Jesus. But that's not what evangelism is about. Let me tell you what evangelism is about. Evangelism isn't about telling people how bad they are. Evangelism is telling people how good God is. And we're gonna see this play out in Luke chapter five in a message that I titled today, Evangelism, What It Is and What It Isn't. And I realized today I messed that up because I should have said what it is and what it ain't. But I did choose to be grammatically correct for all of my non-Arkansas people. Um, I grew up in Arkansas for people that don't get that joke. Anyway, in Luke chapter five, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. In Luke chapter five, let me give you a little context. Luke chapter five, here's what we learn. We, we encounter Jesus. He's getting ready to do some really cool things. And before this, word has begun to spread like wildfire about Jesus. Jesus is teaching people in a way that people have never heard taught before. Jesus is, is performing miracles. He's healing people with illnesses. He's helping people who are sick. 
Jesus is, 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 in, is spending time with people that rabbis would never spend time with because they're the sinners and the, and the outcasts. Jesus has demonstrated that he has command and authority over nature, so much so that when he spoke to a storm, it stopped, and when he spoke to the fish, it went from being a, a, a group of fishermen that were tired because they couldn't catch any fish to Jesus just speaking a word, put your net on the other side, and the, fish, the net was overflowing. And so word has begun to spread about Jesus and word has begun to spread about the good things that he's doing and, and he's beginning to, 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 to draw a crowd when he shows up to places and, and people are coming out of the woodworks to see him. We're gonna see this in Luke chapter five and verse 11 and this is what it says. Now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Now these Pharisees and teachers of the law, these are the, the religious people, the, kind of the angry church people that I was talking about. These are like the leaders of the, of the, of the Jewish church kind of thing. Um, and so they, the teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So, so people are coming out of the woodwork, the Pharisees and the scribes are coming out of the woodwork, and the power of the Lord to bring healing upon people is already present. People are being healed and stuff is happening. Then, verse 18, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. So, so there's a group of friends, and they have heard about the commotion about this Jesus. And they've heard about the good things that Jesus has been doing in the community. They've heard about the good things that have been happening in people's lives. And so what they do is they go, listen, we, we've got a friend who needs help. And so we've got a friend in need, so we're gonna, go, we're gonna go get our friend and we're gonna bring our friend and bring him to Jesus. Now, in some ways, I, I can empathize with these men. They have a friend who is paralyzed. We don't know his story. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed. We just know that in Luke chapter five, this man is paralyzed. And in some ways, I can empathize with this. I had a very dear friend of mine a few years ago get paralyzed from a tragic accident. And so if I knew that Jesus was in town, healing people, I would leave this stage right now and go pick up my friend and say, say, bro, we're going because Jesus is in town and I hear some crazy awesome stuff is happening and I'm gonna see if Jesus can't heal you. And so I get this. I understand the sense of urgency. I understand why they would have done this. Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us who, uh, anything about these men. It doesn't tell us that they were Jesus followers or not. Only thing we know at this point is that these men heard about what Jesus was doing and knew that they had a friend that, that was in need. We also don't know how the Bible would have portrayed or what happened when the friends got to the paralyzed man. We don't know if they sat around and, and kind of like played out the odds. You know, would it, would it be right and fair for you to be healed of your paralysis? They didn't sit around and wonder like, well, well, well did you do something to deserve this paralysis? In fact, what we can infer is that if it would have been the Jews or the, the, the Pharisees or the religious leaders, the angry church people, if they were the ones who were friends of this paralyzed man, then they would have gone there and they probably, we can, we can infer, they probably would have sit around and talked about, well, like, is it really right for you to be, to be healed? You know, I mean, you, you know, who sinned, you or your mom or your dad, to cause you to be paralyzed? And we can infer this because there's actually another place in the Bible where someone gets healed and someone has an ailment and, and, the, and the religious leaders are arguing amongst themselves, well, what did this person and do to deserve this ailment. And so they're more concerned about the cause of whose sin created the problem than they are about the reality of Jesus to solve it. So these men, they gathered their friend. They heard that Jesus was good. 
and they decided to take him. What about the paralyzed man? What do we know about him? Well, we don't know a lot really, other than the fact that his, he's got friends and that he's paralyzed. I wonder how that conversation might've gone. The friends show up, hey, what's up, Bob? Uh, we, we, you know, Jesus in town, we're gonna take you and we're gonna, we're gonna take you to meet Jesus because Jesus is healing people. And, and, I, and we don't know, like, would, would, would this paralyzed man have been excited? Oh, yes, please, take me to Jesus. Or would, would he have been kind of resistant? I mean, I can only imagine that if he's paralyzed, how many healers has he gone to see? How many doctors has he been to? How many times has he tried to get help only to receive the bad news once again? There's nothing we can do for you because of your condition. All the things we don't know for sure, but things that we can certainly wonder about. And so these friends, they gathered their man and they began to take him to Jesus, but there's a problem. Verse 19 says, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. So the, the men, they gather their friend, they take him to where Jesus is, but there's so many people, there's such a crowd, they, they can't get close to Jesus. Now they could have done what, 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 what maybe might've been reasonable, like, hey, listen, man, we did our best. We brought you all the way over here. And you see all the people, like there's just no way we're gonna get, I mean, there's so many people. So we did our best, it's close enough, you know, maybe it can just kind of transfer through the air to get to you, and maybe, maybe something good might happen. But no, that's not what happened. Notice what happens next. It says that they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the mist before Jesus. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine this is your home and you've got Jesus over and the whole neighborhood has come over to your house. And all of a sudden you hear a clitter clatter, a, a pitter patter on the roof and you're like, it's not December, it's not Santa. And then all of a sudden, like you start hearing and then stuff like starts flying through and then, then there's a hole in the ceiling and someone's just, my bad. But the, see, what had happened was, is we had a friend in need and we heard Jesus was doing some good things that was changing people's lives and we just believe that Jesus can help our friend. So that's my bad about the roof, um, but, but my friend needs Jesus. See, these friends didn't just have a friend in need, they had faith to believe that Jesus could do something good. Notice what happens next, verse, it says this, and then when he, that's Jesus, saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. Now this is interesting. Imagine being one of the friends carrying your paralyzed friend to the house, into the town, to the house, up the ladder, onto the roof, breaking it open, you see Jesus, hi Jesus, and then you weigh, you draw, lower him down, and Jesus' response is, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, you and I might read that and go, oh man, Jesus is so good. Jesus forgave this man of his sins, but I just gotta be honest for a second. Like, like if, if that was me, again, we don't know that these guys were Jesus' people. It's possible that they would have been like, well, um, I mean, that's nice and all, but He's still paralyzed. That we, can, can you help? That's why we brought him to you, Jesus. See, Jesus, he's aware of the physical problem. He's, there's never a time where Jesus isn't aware of the physical challenges that we're going through. But what this reveals is that Jesus' first concern is not the situation that we're in. 
Jesus' first concern is not the circumstance that we find ourselves in. Jesus' primary concern is not the storm that you're facing. Jesus' chief aim is not to just resolve the problem that you feel externally because Jesus sees the problem internally. And what Jesus knows is that if all I ever do is answer your external problems but never go to work on your internal issue, your sin issue, then here's what's gonna happen. It's just a matter of time. I can heal it up, patch it up, and buy it up and put it all back together. But if your internal problem, if the sin problem inside of you, inside of me, if it's not resolved, if it's not healed, then it's only a matter of time until we're back in this place again with another problem, with another ailment, looking for another external solution. And see, here's, here's what we need to remember. We need to remember that we all have an internal problem called sin. It's a cancer that's growing inside of all of us. And it will lead us to death and devastation and destruction. Sin is the stuff that is the, it's the thing that causes the desire that, that, that you seek out those things that you know aren't good for you, but they feel good for just a moment. It helps bring just a temporary amount of release. It helps bring just a temporary relief. Saying that thing to your spouse because, because what they said hurts you and you go, mm, get my shots in while I can. You're overwhelmed and frustrated and you turn to the bottle, you turn to the, 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 the alcohol bottle or the pill bottle just to get a little bit of relief. You see, what Jesus knows is that that we all have an internal issue that needs to be resolved. And when Jesus does this, when he heals this man's sins, it becomes a trigger for the religious people that are there. This is what they say. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive but God alone? You see, see they're, they're, they're kind of tripped up here because Jesus is forgiving these sins. And you see, they have lost sight of what evangelism is really all about as well. You see, the evangelism, evangelism isn't, a, isn't Jesus' people running around and pointing and shouting at all the problems in the world. Can I just tell you something? This paralyzed man did not need to be reminded that he was paralyzed. Can I just tell you something? The world doesn't need more Jesus' people running around and going, that's a problem, this is an issue, that's broken, what's the matter with this? You know what we look like when, we're, when, when we as Jesus' people, when we become known for, all, for being the people that point out all the problems? I'll tell you what it's like. I was at a birthday party a couple years ago and a buddy of mine was making hamburgers for everybody. And one of the moms, after the hamburgers were brought in, one of the moms um, made herself a burger and she took a bite of it and she felt like it was a little too undercooked. There's like 40 people in the house. This is what she does. She goes over to the host of the party and she says, hey, um, my hamburger is raw. And the host goes, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Listen, I'll just have my husband put it back on the grill. This is what she does. She goes over to the, to the platter where all the hamburger patties are and she starts breaking them open. This one's raw, this one's raw, this one's raw, this one's raw, this one's raw. And every single hamburger, there's like 40 hamburgers on the platter. I'm standing there watching this going, I guess none of us wanted the chance to have a burger that was put back on the grill. 
I guess we're having sliders now. Lord, give me patience in this moment to not say what I'm thinking about how stupid this woman is for screwing up the whole party. And the hosts of the party were our best friends and so after everybody left, she comes up and she goes, what the crap was that? The world doesn't need Jesus' people being that person in their life. Because evangelism isn't about Jesus' people running around pointing and shouting at all the problems. This is what evangelism is. Evangelism is Jesus' people just pointing people to the solution. Can I just tell you something today? I don't know what ailment you have. I don't know what, what plagues your marriage. I don't know what struggles you're having in your parenting or in your relationship with your parents. I don't know what the problems are at work. I don't know the issues that you're wrestling with. I don't know the addictions that you desperately want to be broken free from. But, but can I just tell you something? Jesus is the answer. Whatever problem you're facing, Jesus is the answer. Whatever hardship you're going through, Jesus is the answer. And some of us, Jesus people, need to be reminded that the world is not saved by us proclaiming the anger of God and the, and the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even think of it. But constantly telling people how angry God is at them and God's going to smite you and you're such a terrible person. Is it true that God is going to judge evil and wickedness? Yes, it is true. And every person that has not been saved and redeemed by Jesus is going to receive that judgment. But in God's grace, he has decided that today is not that day. And so until that day comes, we would do well as Jesus' people to remember and emulate the life of Jesus where Jesus walked around and proclaimed the goodness of God, the salvation of God, the truth of God, and helped people in their hurts. We need to be reminded today what Romans chapter two, verse four says, that it is not the truth of God that draws people to repentance. It's not the anger of God that draws people to repentance. It's not the justification of hell that draws people to repentance. It's not our ability to bring all of our scientific apologetics and philosophical apologetics that draws people to Jesus. The goodness of God is what draws people to repentance. And Jesus was demonstrating to the world that day the goodness of God by offering forgiveness to this man. And the Pharisees were tripped up. They said, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, I love that, Jesus could have just kind of read the situation, but, but it means that he, it, the, the actual translation says he read their thoughts. He answered and said to them, he answered the questions they were asking in their mind by answering it out loud in front of the, the crowd of people. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? I imagine that there's a pregnant pause here as Jesus is having this conversation. And the Pharisees, the most educated of the room, are philosophizing of, well, which would be easier to hear? Would it be easier to hear your sins are forgiven? Well, that's impossible because only God can do that. Or to tell this man, rise up and walk. Well, that's impossible because he's clearly paralyzed. His mama, his daddy did something wrong, causing him to be this way. 
And Jesus doesn't give him the chance to answer. And he just says this in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then it says, he said to the man, so he turns and he looks at the man and he says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And the entire room goes from looking at Jesus to looking at the man that's laying on the floor in front of them. The people in the back are trying to do one of these things. What's going on? What's going on up there? Can anybody hear what's, what's happening? And the people that are close, imagine the murmur that would have started when the man began to move his legs. Imagine the look on the man's face when he realized that something's happening now that hasn't happened for a very, very, very long time, maybe never. And the man, not only immediately is his paralysis healed, but all of the atrophy of his muscles and the, and the, 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 the atrophy of the neurological system because it's not being used immediately is also healed. His legs immediately gain the strength because notice what it says next. Immediately, verse 25, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I'm sure he was. Imagine the murmur. Imagine the scuttlebutt. Imagine the guy walking out like, what's up? High five, fist bump, chest bump, what's up? Anybody want to do the football thing, you know, where they go, hey, and they jump into each other after a touchdown? Because I can do that now. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear. This word was, says they were filled with fear it doesn't mean they were scared of Jesus. The, 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 the insinuation is, is that there's a recognition that they are mortals in the presence of something more. And then they said amongst themselves, we have seen strange things today. Imagine conversations at the dinner table that night. Peter, how was your day today? It was awesome. You know Bob down in the corner that's always, you know, you know Bob. He walked home today. He did what? He can't do that. He's paralyzed. Not no more. Because he met Jesus. Jesus in his goodness not only healed the internal issue of sin by forgiving this man of his sins, he also healed the external ailment by healing the man. If I can just confess to you today as I was preparing this message this week, God prodded deep conviction on my spirit this week. That all too often I forget that I was once just like this man. No, I was, I've never been paralyzed. But it's been so long ago for me that a friend of mine brought me to Jesus. It's been over 25 years since a friend of mine brought me to Jesus. But sometimes I forgot what life was like before Jesus. 
Sometimes I forget in the midst of all the things that I, I'm responsible for as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a, just a good, trying to be a good, you know, contributing member of society. Sometimes I forget and I lose sight of the fact that there was a day where I was just like this man, born in sin, like all of us are, And though I was physically alive, I was spiritually dead. I wonder if maybe, just maybe, that resonates with you. Sometimes I forget that before my friend brought me to Jesus, I was just a kid hurt by the divorce of my parents, desperately trying to just find approval, to win somebody's affection or affirmation. (laughs) I remember being in elementary school thinking that the, the best way for me to do that is if I started cussing. I can remember being a brand new student and I was in fourth grade, I was a new kid in school I was like, I'm just gonna start cussing. That'll get attention. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's like, there are people who cuss and there's people who are good at it. I'm not endorsing it. But you know, sometimes you hear people cuss and you're like, that's not the right way to do that. Like, you're doing it wrong. I was just a hurting kid just looking for somebody to notice me until my friend brought me to Jesus and Jesus noticed me. Maybe I'm not the only one today. Maybe, maybe this is true for a number of us. Maybe, maybe it's more accurate to say that maybe it's just not that we've forgotten what it was like before Jesus, but maybe, maybe in the midst of all of the things that we're responsible for in life, we've just lost sight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus what it was like to encounter the goodness of God. Maybe we just take it for granted. Maybe maybe we've been saved for so long that the idea of being a child of God is just commonplace. We forgot about the power of the moment we placed our faith in Jesus and we went from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive to being loved and chosen and accepted by God the Father, forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, and loved and, 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 and doted upon and blessed by God. Maybe for some of us it's been so long that we forgot about the truth of the verse in John 10 where Jesus lays out the, the vision the vision board that Satan has for your life and the vision board that Jesus has for your life. Do you remember this? In John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said this about the devil. He says, the thief, here's what he's gonna do. Here's his vision board. Here's his plan, his master plan for every person who has ever breathed a breath of life in this world. His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's gonna do. But Jesus says, here's my plan. 
My plan, my vision board for your life and for every person who's ever breathed is to bring them life and life more abundantly. And can I just tell you, it, 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 it frustrates me how oftentimes this verse gets so misapplied and misappropriated. The promise of this verse was never that Jesus was going to give you more wealth, that he was gonna give you more money. Praise Lord, I'm gonna name it and claim it in Jesus' name. Give me a promotion, baby. I'm gonna get more followers on Instagram. I'm gonna, I'm gonna become more known. It's just, it's just a train of prosperity that's just gonna start coming my way and I'm gonna feel it in my bank account. I'm gonna feel it in my influence. I'm gonna feel it in, 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 in that size house that I live in and the kind of car that I drive. Praise God, life, life more abundant. Jesus, that's what you promised me. That's not what Jesus is promising here. Here's what Jesus is promising, and it is so much better than the material things that we can measure with dollars and cents. Jesus' promise in this verse is to give us a life that is filled with hope, that is filled with joy, that is filled with freedom, that is filled with victory, that is filled with purpose, that is filled with endless possibilities of what is possible and by faith in Christ in our lives to be used by him in a way that truly, truly matters. What Jesus is promising in this verse is he's promising a better life. Not a more valuable life. Not a, better, not a better personal financial situation. He's just promising a better life. What did Jesus provide to this man who was paralyzed when he healed him of his physical ailment? He healed him of his sin problem. He gave him a second chance, an opportunity for a better life. That's what Jesus offers to the world. This is why Jesus came, he lived and he died. This is why Jesus rose from the grave. This is why Jesus sent someone to you at some point in your story so that you could know about Jesus, so that you could have a better life. I was listening to a song this week. Funny how God does this sometimes as I've got a message that's stirring in my heart and, and, and a song will pop up and... Um, it's just funny how often it resonates, but I was listening to this song and I don't know who needs to hear this today that's in the room, that's watching online or listening to podcasts. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I just love to have an opportunity to tell you who Jesus is and what he's really about. And if you're here today and and, and, and you have experienced one of these things that I'm getting ready to list off to you to be true in your life, could you testify about that so that somebody here today who was in one of these moments that you used to be in, but Jesus led you out of it, I want you to testify with a simple amen or a loud amen, whatever you gotta do to let somebody know, that was me, that's my story. Here's how the song goes. I'm not gonna sing it, don't worry. I feel so loved. <laughs> it's a song by Zach Williams and, and the chorus says, and this is who Jesus is. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. 
If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. Listen, this is who Jesus is. And the point of evangelism, when, when, when this is true, then, then we've got to cast off the old ideas of evangelism that our responsibility as disciples of Jesus is to go bark at the world and tell them about all the problems. That it's our job as Christians, as disciples, to, to go tell everybody how bad they are, how messed up they are. You are, you are a sinner. You stink. You sit on a throne of lies. Y'all, when we have the truth about who Jesus is, why do we settle for such crap to tell people that, it's, that, that God is all about being against you and all of your problems and he hates you? That's not the gospel. That's not, that's not good news. Listen, it's not our job to condemn people for how far they are from Jesus or for the decisions that they make. God is a righteous judge. He's gonna judge it, but it's not his timing to do it now. So until then, how about we choose something different? How about we, as the ambassadors of Jesus, the originator and author of good news, go tell the world about the good news of Jesus? How about we, as God's people, find people who are close to us but far from God and let people know that God is good, that the reason he sent Jesus to this earth was to seek and save that which was lost. And to, to, what, what are they lost from? What do they need saving from? They need saving not just from the hell they're going to apart from Christ, but the hell they're going through apart from Christ. And let's encourage people to know about who God is because God is the one over and over and over again. He sends rescue to his people. And he promises us that if you belong to him, that, that you will never be left or forsaken, that you will never walk through the fire alone, that you will always have the spirit with you as a guide, that there will never be a moment, a conversation that you walk into, a situation that you walk into, a problem that you're gonna face, a tragedy that's gonna come and hit you out of nowhere. In Christ, there's never gonna be a moment where you're gonna face any of that on your own. The message of Jesus is good news. Listen, y'all, the gift of salvation for the world has already been bought and paid for. It has been gift wrapped and packaged and God's delivery system of this gift to the world is you and it's me. Let me make it more personal. The person in your life that is close to you but far from God, God's delivery system of the gift of salvation is you in their life. Man, I, I just, man, my prayer is that we as a church, that we could be the kind of people that would rip the roof off a place so that somebody that is close to us but far from God can be closer to Jesus. My hope is that we could be a group of people, a family of believers together that would be willing to say, I don't care what the obstacle is. I just, I've been changed by Jesus because he is good and I need you to know how good Jesus is. So I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> I'm gonna do what's required so that you can get to Jesus. Listen, let me ask you this. How many of you believe that God is still good? How many of you believe that Jesus still reigns? 
How many of you believe that Jesus still saves? Then let's go be about the business of telling the world the good news about who God is, what he does, and how he saves. That he is a pain taker, he is a way maker, he's a prison shaking savior, and that he's a chain breaker. So I just wanna ask you today this question. I'm gonna ask you this question every week in this series because I don't want it to be some big ethereal, go save the world. I wanna make it small, I wanna make it as personal as possible. Who's your one? Who's your friend in need? Who is it? Write their name in the blank. There's something that happens when we, we get it out of our head and we write it down and we see it, it makes it more personal. That's why I love our prayer journal because, because we're, gonna be, we're gonna be given the opportunity again and again and again to write this person's name down so that we feel it here, not just think it here. Who's your one? And once you know who your one is, and let me ask you this question, do you have faith to believe like these men in this story did? that Jesus is good, that good stuff happens wherever he is? Would you have the faith to believe that Jesus could do something good in the life of your one? Then if you would, I wanna give you three practical things that you can do right now. Number one, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. Lift their name up to heaven. God, I pray for my grandfather. His name is Eldon. God, I pray for Eldon today. God, would you, would you break through to his life today? Would you, would, you, would you show up in his life? Would you bring somebody into his world today that could just be a demonstration of your goodness to him? Pray for him. The second thing I want you to do, I want you to serve him. That's what these friends did. They had a friend in need. They had faith to believe in, so they went and got their friend and they served him. What does that look like? I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. Think about two things. What is something for your one that you can do this week that would do one of two things? That it would either be a blessing to them or it would meet a need in their life. Can I tell you, you don't have to be a pastor to serve people. You don't have to go to Bible college to have all the answers to bless somebody or meet a need. You're qualified for that right now. And third thing I want you to do, I want you to share Jesus with them. We're gonna break this down and we're gonna talk about this a whole lot on the 25th next Sunday evening at our office, at our evangelism workshop. But to put it simply, it's just telling them about the good things Jesus has done in your life. That's how you share Jesus with people. Pray for them, serve them, and share Jesus with them. Come on, church, let's be about the business. We may not be able to change the whole world, but we can serve somebody. We can pray for somebody to try to change one person's world. Let's be the kind of people that are described in Luke chapter five that would be willing to overcome obstacles, break open roofs, go out of their way, be inconvenienced so that our friend in need can encounter Jesus. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time.
If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.